we look at these water buffaloes and we recognize it seems to be a pretty easy choice. So why? Why would anyone ever think after watching their fellow water buffalo get eaten that that was a loss? Wow. You know what's kind of hard? Is that so many of us in our world, we hear warnings and we recognize what God's word has to say at times. And we just uh, think it's a loss. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize that you are an amazing God. You are a loving God and you are a gracious God. You're a God that desires deeply to be able to help us understand who you are and experience your love. We're going to open up the word here, Father, and we would ask, even at this moment, that you would open our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active that you would transform us from the inside out, that if we're blind in some areas, Lord, that you would take those blinders away that we would be able to understand who you are and what you want us to learn today. Father, I pray for other churches in this area, and I, I pray in particular for Grace Point and for New Hope. We ask you, dear God, that in this day, during their services, that as your word is being proclaimed, that folks would be able to understand who you are and that you would change their lives. We pray that you would use your word in every one of the churches, not only in Lake County, but all over our nation and our world. We want you to be glorified, God, and we know you will do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Solomon had to be excited. The kingdom would soon be his. His father, most of you know his father, it was King David, and King David was deteriorating. So it was time for Solomon to take a hold of the reins. Some of you know, as we ended up last week, we saw that King David really set up Solomon very, very well. The good king's words were powerful. David tried to drill his last few minutes that he had on this planet some great words for his son so that his son would listen and his son would reign well. And more than anything, his son would, well, listen to God because David knew what it was to walk with God. David understood how amazing his God was, and he just wanted his son to know that. Now, again, he was older, and he was decrepit, and he was breathing his last breaths. But if David could have, he would have shaken Solomon. He would have looked at Solomon. He would have said, Solomon, please, listen to me. Being a king is not easy. There's a lot of decisions you have to make. And there's always opportunities for you to be able to, well, compromise. 
Don't do it, son. Don't do it. I've left you a qualified team and a skilled team. There is all peace in the land, which was almost ridiculous at this time. I've given you wealth along with a clear vision. On top of this, we know that God is going to give Solomon wisdom. So we had everything, absolutely everything. And this had to be a dream come true. But as we mentioned in the last few minutes of last week, the dream ended in disaster. Solomon turned his heart away from God and worshipped other gods. Solomon did what was, well, evil in God's sight and refused to follow the Lord completely. Most of us, we sit and we scratch our heads and say, how is this even possible? The scriptures tell us that the Lord was angry with Solomon. So he chose to divide the kingdom. Well, Solomon's older and he's about ready to die at this moment where we open up and, and dig into our story. But right before Solomon dies, there's a prophet, and his name is Ahijah. Ahijah. Kind of like Elijah, only <gasps> Ahijah. All right? And the scriptures tell us in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Ahijah the prophet, he was decked out in a brand new cloak. He had just gotten it. And he's walking down, and there's a man called Jeroboam. And he looks at Jeroboam, and he walks over to Jeroboam. And Ahijah starts doing something weird. He takes his cloak off, and he starts ripping it. Brand new. Rips it in one piece, and two pieces, and three. Actually rips it in 12 pieces. Then he piles 10 of the pieces together, brings it over and hands it right in Jeroboam's hands. Jeroboam's kind of looking at him at this moment and saying, what are you doing? And the prophet said this, God has decided to give you ten of the tribes. He's going to make you king. He's going to take away part of the kingdom from the line of David. Oh. And this is what he says then. God is tearing up the kingdom because Solomon had abandoned him. In 1 Kings, and if you can turn your Bibles or your flat screens there, 1 Kings chapter 11, starting at verse 33. The scripture says this, For Solomon had abandoned me. I, I mean, that's a heavy word, isn't it? Like, I just leave you, God. It's not like I'm just going to decide to maybe dabble a little bit in worship of you, God. No, I'm done. I leave you. Abandon you. And worship Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidians, Chemish, the god of Moab, and Moloch, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations that David, his father, had said. And then just a little lower in chapter 11, verse 38. He says this, Jeroboam, here's what I want to warn you. 
This is from God himself. He says, if you listen to what I tell you and you follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and my commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. We've already seen enough history in the beginning of the scriptures to be able to see that God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. And God desires for each one of these Israelites to actually thrive. He says, if you love me, if you follow me, if you do what I ask, I am a good, good father and I know what's best and and this will go well for you. Well, we find out just a little bit in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon finds out about Jeroboam. He tries to kill him. So Jeroboam runs to Egypt. Well, Solomon dies. And when he dies in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 43, Rehoboam, his son. I, again, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, but yeah, we'll try to figure this out. Okay, Rehoboam is Solomon's son, and he becomes the legitimate king. You know what's interesting at this moment? Israel is not divided. There are still 12 tribes. But Solomon doesn't record any of his last words. He doesn't sit his son down and warn his son to obey God. That's not part of his life. Because he hasn't obeyed God. So 1 Kings chapter 12 all the way to 16 is a tale. It is filled with political violence, ethnic cleansing, treachery, constant war, dishonesty, blatant disrespect, and disregard of God, and rampant death. Whoa. This is a picture of a group of people who run away from God. Oh, these actions have riled up God and provoked his anger. People who imitate, well, people who worship like this lived in the land of Canaan, and they ruled the land. I come back to why over and over again, God was gracious. God was kind. God was understanding. I uh, want you to experience life, but you are choosing to go a different way. If some of you are newer with us, we are reading and learning about God from the Bible using excerpts from the Bible. It's all collated in the book called The Story. And today we're in chapter 14. The God that we're looking at from the very beginning when he, well, created this earth and put two people in a perfect environment. From that very time, we see that God is loving and faithful and just. And the more that we get to know him, the more we are drawn to him. Remember, God created us with a relationship in mind. We do. 
So whether it be back in the garden and him desiring just to spend time with us, but all the way through time, he believes that you and I are important. He believes that he thinks that we're valuable and desires to walk with us. But just like in the garden, God says, I know what's best for life. I know how to, well, encourage you to walk. So walk in my ways. Listen to me. And if you do, if you do, you will experience life. Wow. If you run from God, though, if you partially obey God, if you abandon God, the results are always the same, and it's death. We don't like to say that, but in Romans 6.23, the scripture reminds us the wages or the payment or the consequences of, well, sin or disobeying God or not listening to God is death. It's death of relationships. It's death of abundant life, it's existence. Now today, we're going to jump in the text and see what we can learn from mostly insane kings of 1 Kings chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Again, the definition of insane, at least from Albert Einstein. He gets a credit for this, whether he said it or not. All right. For us to keep doing the same things over and over and over and expecting some results to differ, eh, you, uh, you're a little off your rocker, okay? But we live that way. We do. And so let's look at this. The kingdom rift happens early in King Rehoboam's reign. It happens in 1 Kings chapter 12. And we find out that soon Solomon died. Uh, King Rehoboam is crowned there in the town of Shechem. And the leaders of Israel literally come and they share their heart with the new king. And he got together with them and, and he basically said, Hey guys, how do you think I should rule? And literally, and you may not even understand how hard of a leader Solomon was, but the scriptures say that your dad was a hard master. He, was, he had harsh labor and imposed heavy taxes. Oh, if you could turn that around, oh, you would be quite the king. So the king, he seeks counsel. That's a wise thing to do. He goes to two groups. He goes to an older group of counselors, and he goes to a group of his cronies, his friends. The older group says this, you know what, Rehoboam, if you become a servant and you give them hope, the people of Israel will follow you with all their heart. Then he went to his friends, his comrades. The guys that he hung out with. And Rehoboam said, okay, guys, I'm about ready to, you know, lead this nation. How should I do it? 
And they all said this. You know what, Rehoboam? I think you should get harsher. I think you should talk to the people and say, you thought my dad was hard? <laughs> I'll be harder. You thought he made you pay a lot of taxes? Hey, it's even going to be worse. So Rehoboam thought for one second. He says, I like that power thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to him. And literally what he does, he goes back to the people. And he says, hey, you know, you guys thought my dad was hard? <laughs> Just wait. Just wait. Well, the problem was he gets good advice, but he rejects it. And then he suffers the consequences because the scriptures tell us this. That the ten tribes, there's 12 tribes in Israel, pick up their toys and go home. And from now on, our whole story in the Old Testament is going to be important. And I think most of you understand the distinction here. But there's going to be a distinction between Judah and Israel. Israel were the northern ten tribes. Judah were the southern tribes. But here's where the split happens. As soon as the ten tribes leave... The Bible tells us that Israel makes Jeroboam king. And just as Ahijah had said, he knew he was going to be king. He came back from Egypt after running away from Solomon at that moment. And they crown him king. But you remember again what Ahijah told him. Listen, obey, love your God, follow your God. Do that and you are going to thrive. I don't know if Jeroboam had a short memory or not, okay? But Jeroboam, look at 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 28. So on the advice of his counselors, the king, that's Jeroboam, the one who is supposed to follow God and listen to God and honor God, remember, okay, just keep that in mind, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, it's too much trouble for you to worship up in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. But this became a great sin for the people who worshiped these idols. Jeroboam also, in verse 31, erected buildings at pagan shrines and ordained priests from common people those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi. Then, a little bit later, he makes an imitation of some kind of worship. And he himself takes the place of God. So Jeroboam comes, he makes his own gods, he makes his own shrines for gods, he makes his own rules for worship, he uses commoners as priests, he makes his own festivals, and my response is, yikes! I mean, it didn't take long. This power, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And you know what's sad, especially if you've been reading through these chapters? Both Israel and Judah, both, both of these kingdoms, ping pong back and forth from one evil, godless king to the next until 
King Asa. I know you came for good news today. Well, this is sort of good news, but, but it's a little bit of good news. Okay, we have been taught over and over, love God, love God with all of your heart. God will take care of you. God will provide for you. There will be hard times that you walk through, but God will still walk with you through those hard times. My presence is going to be enough for you, and you will live abundant life. Well, Asa, Asa believed it. Eventually, in 1 Kings chapter 15, just a few pages to the right there, I'm going to start reading at verse 11. 1 Kings 15, verse 11. Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Underline that, circle it. It is so sweet because after chapters and chapters of chapters of people running away from God. Verse 12, he banished the male and the female shrine prostitutes from the land, got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother, Maka from her position as queen mother because she made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the pagan shrines were not removed, Asa's heart remained completely faithful to the Lord his God. We're going to jump over to Second Chronicles. It gives us a little bit more. But before I do that, that one statement had to stick out to you. Although he didn't remove all the pagan shrines. Well, if he's following God with all of his heart, what was the deal? We're going to find out in Second Corinthians. We get a little bit more information. He, his heart, his purpose was to remove all the shrines. The problem was all the shrines were not removed. Okay, they just weren't. And so as we look, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I'm going to start reading verse 2. Again, good news. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord. He does more here. The God of their ancestors to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines that he could, as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. Oh, Asa did what was pleasing to God. And what is that? We just read he destroyed the idols, removed the altars, the shrines, the poles. He banished the prostitutes. He deposed his grandmother. Whoa, that's kind of like crossing a line. He even commanded the people to obey God's laws. The scripture tells you as you continue to read, especially in 2 Chronicles, that Asa was completely faithful and had great faith in God. There's a little story in there where he went against the king of Ethiopia. The the King was unbelievably more powerful. And Asa goes to God, and God gives him the victory in a, in a place where it was just not going to happen. And the good thing is this, is that the people followed suit. They sought out God. They found God. They loved God. Oh, this is a great story. If it weren't 
for 2 Chronicles 16. You know, you hear me talking often about finishing well. And I've shared with you a hero for me. It's someone that loves God more right before he breathed his last breath than he did before. It's so easy to get lackadaisical. It's so easy to begin to compromise, as we saw Solomon. It's so easy to get comfortable. And in the latter years of your life, kind of look and say, oh, you know what? I deserve this. This is what I need. You know, I can do my own thing. I can go my own place. I Okay. I think God has an assignment for all of us, all of our lives, until he calls us home. But Asa didn't finish well. In 2 Corinthians, Chronicles 16, it is a sad, sad tale. What he did is um, he began to use logic. There was another great, well, nation. It was the king of Aram. And they were going to come and battle Asa and the rest of Israel, excuse me, Judah at that time. And instead of going to God, he decided to work out a compromise. What? Why? Why would he do this? God has been so faithful. God has been so honoring to him. So God sends another prophet to him, and you're going to see this. His name was Hanani. And Hanani comes to him and says, you know what? Because you're not trusting in God anymore. Because you're not, you are going to lose. And at this time, what Hananiah said got Asa so upset that he tossed Hananiah in prison and put him in stocks. So instead of responding to a prophet and said, oh, you know what, you're right. I am not trusting God like I used to trust God. My God was a faithful God. My God was a great God. Look at all the things my God has done. Look at all the areas my God has given me. I am so grateful for this God. No, I'm not going to listen to you, prophet. I'm not going to listen to God's word. I'm going to do my own thing. In fact, he gets mad at him and tosses him in prison. The scriptures tell us in the next few verses that Asa's feet got infected. I think it was like, you know, um, some kind of toe fungus, I'm sure. And it just kind of like overwhelmed him. And he got worse and worse. And he went to the doctors, and the doctors couldn't do anything. But the scriptures say this, he did not ask for help from God. He was done. You know, God at any time can heal. I get that. But I also know God uses doctors. 
And it is so amazing at this time that this man had deteriorated so much, literally, that he isn't going to talk to God about going to war. He's going to throw people that talk to him, that convict him, that bring God's word to him in prison. I'm putting you away. And even though I am sick and my feet are bad and eventually it's going to kill me, I am still not going to talk to God. Oh, Asa dies. And what's really kind of cool is he's got a son named Jehoshaphat. We're not going to get into Jehoshaphat today, but there is hope, okay? Especially with that name, Jehoshaphat. That's like a cool name, all right? And we're going to look at Jehoshaphat later on, but this is Asa's son. So Asa, well, ended poorly. Jehoshaphat becomes king. Now, I just want to reflect a little bit because, again, it was his latter years that he really messed up. But for the beginning years, it went from ugly, rebellious king to rebellious king to rebellious king. Asa, for a little bit. It was wonderful. And God said he pleased him. He destroyed idols, altars, and Asherah poles. He banished shrine prostitutes and he disposed bad family influence. Say, Rick, so if I'm going to please God, I'm going to destroy idols, altars, Asherah poles, ban the, the uh, shrine prostitutes, and dispose all the people in my family I don't like. No. But let me ask. We have this idea again in our culture that idols are always those things that are kind of graven and carved and, and you know, um, we bow down to. But the truth is, as we look at all of these things, God may want to have you go a little bit deeper Asa did obey God. Asa did seek his face. Asa did rely on him at one time. He did. But for some reason, his success, his power, his life went down. And I guess I'd like to ask that question. What is it in your life that might keep you from worshiping God? Or what is it in your life that, well, doesn't keep you from worshiping God extravagantly? extravagantly? I mean, there were some things that Asa did I mean, literally even disposing his grandmother, saying you have no more authority. You are worshiping the wrong God. I am not going to listen to you. I'm not going to give you the power. Things, well, as a king, you could do whatever you want, but it didn't go well in his family. Now, meanwhile, 
meanwhile, over in Israel. Remember, this is Judah, the good kingdom, the kingdom that supposedly followed God better. And for a little bit of time, God was honored in Asa's rule. But over in Israel, the ten tribes, while King Asa was ruling, things went from bad to worse. You say, Rick, this is so hard. It is but there was a king Nadab, and a king Basha, and a king Elah, and a king Zimrah. And then there was a king Omri. Everyone, you can read through this, did evil and ran from God. Did evil and ran from God. Did evil and ran from God. Look at 1 Kings, go back there if you would, chapter 16. And let's just look at King Omri. King Omri, chapter 16, verse 25. But Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. He followed the example of Jeroboam and all the sins that he committed and led Israel to commit. The people provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worship. Then there was a guy and a guy I bet so many of you do know. Eventually Omri died. And his son Ahab became king. Let's see what happened with Ahab. Look at verse 30. But Ahab, the son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Even more than any of the kings before and although that was not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Esbel of the Sidonians. And he began to bow down in the worship of Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings before him. You know, by this time, you're just looking and saying, well, why didn't God wipe them out? Why didn't God take care of this situation? Why did he just allow people to run away from them and suffer? And, and why? Why? Well, you know what? We've talked a lot about Baal and about Asherah poles. And I actually thought at this moment, not that I want to put a professor hat on, but the truth is, if we don't understand why this was such a temptation to the children of Israel, we're not going to understand how hard it was to obey God. Now, I think, again, we've got some amazing and tough and ridiculously enticing idols today. We do. And we don't see it. But let's look. Remember that Canaan, or the Canaanites, they were the people that lived in the promised land that Joshua eventually went over the river and be able to conquer and give to the children of Israel. These were all the Canaanites. Now God warned from the very beginning about worshiping the Canaanite gods. There's only three of them I think you need to pay attention to. One, although they have a pantheon of gods, all right? The chief god, his name was Ale. 
He was the chief deity. Actually, he was just, uh, if, we, if we look at England, you know, you have a queen and you have a prime minister. Now, the queen um, doesn't have much power, okay? It's kind of like, she's the queen. She's nice. All right. That's cool. All right. Prime minister runs the country. That, that's just how it is. And this is how it is in the Canaanite religion. Ael is the queen or the king. The one who really ran the gods was Baal. Was Baal. And Baal was the god of rain. To us, not a big deal. To a country that was totally dependent on rain for life. Water for life. Baal was the mover and the shaker of gods. Okay? Now, where does Asherah come in? Asherah is the goddess of fertility. And Asherah married Ale. So Ale does, you know, he's kind of the queen or the king and the figurehead. But Asherah was the goddess of fertility. So the two gods, we could say the goddess of sex. We could say the goddess of pleasure. So we've got Baal, the god of rain, and Asherah, the goddess of sex and pleasure. All right. Now, why was this temptation so strong? Put yourself back there. You're hanging out with some Canaanites. And the Canaanites are there, and you didn't really move all of them out of the land, but they're there. And you walk up to Mrs. Canaanite, and you say, Mrs. Canaanite, how does your garden grow? And Mrs. Canaanite just kind of says, well, it's, it's kind of easy as we worship Baal. Baal always sends us rain. And if you want to rain, you better come and worship Baal. Well, Israel wanted rain. I mean, they had God of gods of all gods, the most powerful of all gods. But all of a sudden you start thinking, well, maybe I better, I'll worship God and I'll worship Baal because I need rain. And not only that, if you come and worship with us, well, there's also, you get to worship Asherah. Well, what's Asherah? Well, we have these shrine prostitutes. And so you can come and worship Baal, sacrifice to Baal, and also indulge in sex. Oh. So... If I go worship in your temple, I get rain and I get pleasure. Yeah? That's how it is. Now you look at this. Very attractive. Need for rain and the drive for sex. Baal had its altars and Asherah had its poles. All different kinds, but these, these high structures. Now, let me remind you of this, in case you forget. If you go back to Gideon, and remember we talked a little bit about the judges, which was just a few hundred years before this. It was not uncommon for Israelites to worship the Baals and to worship the Almighty Yahweh. Say, so how do I know? Well, in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. Gideon was chosen to be a judge and a leader and a person that would emancipate Israel at that time. But God said this, 
Gideon, what I want you to do in Judges chapter 6, destroy your dad's Baal altars and tear down his Asherah pole. I'll say, well, that's kind of odd. Like, well, yeah. What I'm trying to say is you can't worship the Baals and Asherah and you can't worship the Almighty God at the same time. I don't care how attractive it is. I don't care what you think is right. You can't do both. God knew the culture was attractive, but it would not be life-giving. You see, the Canaanites perverted something that God created that was beautiful, literally beautiful. You know, you look at today, and we look at the idols, the temptations, and I'm going to say something you may not agree with. But there are men right here that say they can worship the Almighty God and visit pornography every single day. It won't hurt me. I can still come to church. It won't bother me. I'm okay. Oh, Rick, I don't keep mentioning things because they might hit my area, you know. And the truth is, is every one of us have a tendency to think we can just worship God along with our cars, our summer homes, our bank account, our sports. And you know I'm not saying you can't do a lot of these unbelievably healthy and wonderful things. You know what happens is that every once in a while we start compromising. And we start thinking, oh, you know what? As long as I come out on a Sunday, or as long as I serve at Awana, or as long as I, I can live my life anyway. God says, no, don't you understand? Don't you get it? I came to give you abundant life. These are thrills, yes, but they're cheap thrills and they're short-lived and the consequences are ugly. Do you understand that? Do you understand? I came to give you abundant life. Don't compromise. We look at all these kings. Oh, how evil. Why don't they listen to God? Jeroboam, you've been warned. Oh, you guys, you're all warned. No problem. But are we doing the same thing? Now, I'm not sitting here as some kind of a judge. I'm sitting there saying, this is what community is about. We focus on God. We remind each other that he is so worthy to worship. He is so worthy to obey. He promises life, not shackles. It says, if you listen to me, if you follow me with all of your heart, you will not only live well, but you will end well. And when you shut your eyes, you will have eternity ever, forever, and ever. And remember, we keep ever, and ever, it not, not, never stops. 
中華how wonderful how amazing and yet we will worship Baal and Asherah along with Jesus because we want to make sure we have all of our bases You'll be miserable. You know, last week, a few of you had talked to me, and it was a hard message last week, and we're in a hard part of the Bible. We are. And honestly, as I'm preparing this week, I'm looking and saying, Lord, <laughs> give me some hope. <laughs> this is hard. And over and over, the Lord reminds us. It's a little picture of Asa's life. When you listen, life is good. Life is abundant. And when you run from God, the consequences It didn't end well. And we're going to continue our story next week in the battle of the gods. This is one of unbelievable, my favorite story. I know you hear this, but one of my favorite stories of all the Bible next week. It's so amazing on how God shows up. But this week, what kind of God that we see? We, we try to look at an upper story and a lower story every time. And sometimes those are hard, but, but God does offer light. God is faithful. He told Jeroboam right away. He reminded. Asa knew. Solomon knew last week. I am faithful. I want to give you life, but I also want you to know I am a God is just. I'm a holy God. And if you choose, if you choose, if you choose to run from me, you are running from the source of life, period. You know what's so cool is that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to die in our place to pay our debt because we are separated from God. God redeemed us. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we have life. So the God of love and the God of justice all comes together at the cross and reminds us over and over and over who he is. But here's the lower story. Back to the why. Back to the definition of insanity. Why would the kings do this? Well, they're insane. Why do we do this? Why are we such bad sinners? May God continue to break every one of our hearts. We can break the cycle because of who Jesus is. And what is 
pleasing God look like? Pleasing God looks like unconditional obedience. Loving God means no compromising. And if there's anything in your life that begins to tempt or begins to make you lean or compromise, get rid of it. Get rid of the temple shrines. Get rid of the altars. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And that's what community does, is help us walk together, accountable, because we know together what is healthy. And may God give us grace to please Him and live on mission with our God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, I guess, for these words. These, these are hard words. And we read, and it, and it almost feels like Groundhog Day. That one king just disobeys, and and he gets deposed, and the next king just disobeys and cares less, and the next king just worships Baal and Asherah, and the next king just does this, and it goes on and on and on. And God, you offer life. You say, this is all trivial. This is all so temporary. I want to give you a reason to get up. I want to give you a reason to walk out. I want to give you a reason to live on this planet. It's not about you. It's not about your pleasure. God, I ask, even at this time, as we pause, is there something in our lives that are keeping us from wholeheartedly following Is there something in our lives, Father, something very real that we need to banish? We need to get rid of. The temptation is too high. And we know it's not good. Father, is there something in our lives that are that's stealing the joy of following you? Help us see your face fresh. Give us new perspective. May we confess our sin quickly. May a relationship be restored that we might be able to experience life. And may we worship you with abandon because you are a great God that does great things. We pray these things in your son's name.